Hello to everybody trying to solve the water crisis. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Dropping on September the 7th, just a few days on the 11th. I'll be in Baltimore at the Auto Bar, my favorite venue, two shows, stand-up. So if you're in the Baltimore area, you come by chrisgeth.com for tickets. I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. This episode is obviously one I think that lives near and dear to my heart. Anybody who's been following the show or my career for 30 seconds understands that uh, mental health is huge in my life. Um, Dealing with it has been a lifelong thing. And I'm someone who's spoken pretty publicly about it. That's why I'm so thankful anytime I get to talk to somebody who's dedicated their life to it. Um, Our caller is a psychiatric nurse, as you can tell from the title. Now, obviously, there's so much that goes into that. I applaud the caller for pursuing something that helps other people, dedicated to other people. But also, we talk about how recent history has affected this pursuit how hard this job is, how much harder it's been. We find a lot of humor in the, along the way. We also talk about what's it like when you're somebody who works in this field and yet you see people who are as close to you as another human, human can be going through things. When you're somebody who's trained to help others navigate these struggles, how heartbreaking is it and difficult is it to see the people closest to you in your life have those struggles? These are all questions that I think uh, blew my mind and made me feel such compassion and empathy and appreciation for our caller. I feeling, feel the same things, and I have a feeling a lot of people are going to get something out of this one. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Well, hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking out a window in New Jersey. Snow is falling. And it's quite beautiful. That's nice. We just have a mucky mix of um, rain and ice down here. That's the worst. When you get, when you, you go, yeah, you say it. We're saying the same thing. I was going to say, which is not quite as beautiful as snow coming down in New Jersey. Is there anything worse than when you get the snowy weather and it's not picturesque and it's just sludge and salt clinging to the bottom of your car? That's the worst. Right. And just enough to cancel school and have everybody home because, you know, <laughs> haven't had enough of my children in the last year. So it's it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, because Cal's not even two. He's coming up on two, which is crazy to say out loud. But it wasn't until this pandemic that I realized how, and you think of it, you go, oh, I bet the snow days are nice because the parents get a little more time with the kids. And you realize, oh, no, school is also daycare. School is also your oh, breathing yeah. room. I had no idea. School is, school is awesome. It's when, so good. When they hit so kindergarten, kids- it's just like, oh, the yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you miss them, but it's, it's pretty great. And I, I have teenagers. Or I have a teenager and a twenty-year-old, so um, so get them out when of the they, house when they get out the door. It's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Twenty-year-old college, yeah. huh? Uh, well, 
no, he, what he started and then stopped, um, about this time last year, a month coming up on a year in March that he withdrew. It's just been part of the, the banner year that has been. So that's um, gotta be stressful. We went and, yeah, we went and, and got him actually on March 13th. So it was like right before everything shut down, we went and collected all of his stuff and they had just closed the school to everyone. And, um, came and brought him back. So he is now here living with me. And then I have one who is almost, she'll be 14 in a month. And does so. he, does he help with her at all? He does. They're, they're good. actually very good buddies. So they have good. kept each other amused, which is, which is nice. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I bet someone, you know, dropping out of college has to be so scary as a parent, but also I wonder if it's, if you see any, if you go if you're happier and you it feels healthier, there must also be some sense of relief in that. I would think. Yeah, he's he's happier. He's um he was real he was really struggling, and so um you know I, I work in mental health. I know you've had your struggles with mental health. He was mm -hmm. having his struggles with mental health and substance abuse, and so brought him home and he was doing pretty well. And then in June, damn near, damn near drank himself to death. And so, oh, wow. um, went to rehab in June. And so he's been back with me, just kind of getting feet under him. Really? So sorry you've had to deal <laughs> with that. And I also, it has to be so frustrating to be someone who has, helped lift other people up and, and navigate their way through those issues has to be confusing and frustrating. It's, I would imagine. It's, it's, it, you know, it's what I, I do that. For, so I'm a, I'm a psych nurse. I do that for a living. I, I, I sit with people who are detoxing all the time and it's quite different when it is your, I mean, he's my baby. He's 20 years old. He's my baby. He'll always be my baby. And you look and see the face of that kid that, and it's just like, fuck man, what is happening right now? And his dad, who's been real involved was just pissed. And so just like wanted no part of it. So I was doing it by myself with his sister who was worried. And like, it was just a lot in the middle of being locked down and a global pandemic so it's been quite a year you you think about you think about the past year and that's it's one of the shocking realizations the more people you talk to is it's been a horrible year and that's the base level for everyone and then people are right. also dealing with all the tragedies and stresses and frustrations of life that come along in years that aren't mm -hmm. like this and I have to imagine mm -hmm. as a psych nurse that you've seen a real uptick in, uh, in, in, in what people are dealing with and the tight and, and the amount of people you're dealing with. I have to imagine. Uh, uh, we have been, we have been nonstop, absolutely nonstop since March. And like we empty a bed and then we fill a bed and it's like tons and tons and tons of relapse for people who have been sober for many years because they've lost all their support networks. Um, 
tons of just like sad people who were already sad, who were just sadder. Um, lots and lots of overdose requiring intubation. And then I know I told the story over the phone of this crazy guy who came in and, you know, and then the, and then the people who are psychotic and struggling and homeless who can't get into places because they're all closed. So they come to us and they haven't taken their meds. And so they're sicker than they normally are. And it is just, sometimes you look around and you're like, this is just bleak. <laughs> just fucking bleak. And it's, the but, so- you it's- know, but. Oh, no, but what, but what? But, but I also like, cause people ask me, why don't I quit? I'm a nurse. I could go, I could go do a million things. And it so few people in the world want to deal with people like that. That, uh, you know, I've, I've never met anybody in my travels through the world who they literally have nothing. And you, see these people show up with a bag full of possessions and that's all they have and people don't want to deal with people like that they don't want to know that it exists they don't want to face it they certainly don't want to talk to them or even be kind to them often and so I you know I love my job it's really intense and it can be really awful and like we're all really exhausted right now but it's a um you know, it's, I'm not a church person, but in the way I hear people talk about things being a ministry or a calling, that's what it feels like. Well, I'm going to tell you something, and it might seem a little Hallmark card, but I mean it fully. To hear you speak in such a plain, pragmatic way about how there are forgotten people in this world, and even though your job's gotten so hard and stressful recently, you're not going to quit because someone needs to help those forgotten people. I think that's one of the most beautiful sentiments. And I'm not a church person either, but I think that the people doing what you do and you know, the people who are analogous to that in other fields, helping those forgotten people, those are probably the closest to angels I believe in. I appreciate that. I feel like what you're describing as well with how it's just nonstop it's one of the things that I think a lot of us don't think about with the pandemic because I have to imagine, first of all, like you said, you're dealing with people whose support systems are gone. People are feeling more stressed than usual and it's breaking them more often. So that right there is going to swell how many people you're dealing with. But I wonder if this is on target too, that when an emergency room gets overrun, well, that means a whole hospital gets overrun. When a whole hospital gets overrun, mm-hmm. that means people who might belong in a hospital are now heading towards social services that aren't exactly what you'd usually use to deal with what they're dealing with. And then that overflows the social services. And you just, I would have to imagine right now, have more and more people in all those interconnected fields dealing with things that aren't really what they're trained for or what their specialties are in at a pace that's more rapid than they've ever seen. This is part of why I think it's so maddening to me when you hear people who go, it's my freedom to not wear a mask. You go, well, there's a whole, there's a whole system under stress here. Help it. Mm -hmm. It takes you literally no effort. It takes you take, it's literally no effort to do your part. Literally no effort when, yes, when you just see, and I work in a, in a very small 
hospital and we had a period right after Christmas where things were really stressful and we were getting overrun. But for the most part, it's been pretty manageable where I am. But watching that time when we were getting overrun and seeing, you know, I have friends down in the emergency room. We see the doctors very regularly, like our little, our, like our little hospitals, like a little family. And like when the doctors would come up and see our patients asking them how they are and listening to their stories and, you know, they have to cut it off. They're being doctors and they're like, yeah, this guy died. This guy died. And this 40 year old woman who was the mother of two just died. And, and to, and, and that a, they're in the middle of that, putting themselves at risk all the time and having to manage their own shit around that. And then seeing people who will not wear a mask or, you know, not even feeling, feeling scared to go to somebody who's wearing it as a chin strap and say, like, can you just pull it up while you're inside? Yeah. Uh, it is. It's just incredibly disheartening. And, um, you know, I haven't, I don't watch the news. I watch it a little more now because there's some bright spots, but I just, I stopped, I stopped watching all of it for a while because it just couldn't. I just couldn't deal. It was yeah. enough to deal with the things that were coming at me every day. Yeah. And so, well, I have a question that that segues into something that I've wanted to ask you since the second you said what you do, because you got all this stuff coming at you every day, and I really want to know the answer to this question as as part of you know as a piece in your puzzle, but also kind of selfishly. And I'm not in any sense comparing <laughs> what I do to what you do, but how do you? go home and forget about the things you've heard and seen because I don't even know taking, listen, if you're calling the show, you've obviously listened to at least a few episodes and I feel so lucky with every caller I've ever been able to talk to, but some of these stories are very hard to hear. And, and I walk away sometimes feeling like I took on a little bit of pain there. And that happens enough times oh. and, it, and it, it can stick with me. And sometimes I feel so bad for my wife because I'll get, I won't be able to shake. You know, if I've had some really, if I've heard things that are really scary or heartbreaking. So how do you do it? Because you're seeing it in a way that's so much more real and head on and intense and relentless. How do you go home and live the rest of your life? Um. Well, I probably drink too much red wine, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's one. Um, you know, I, I am in therapy. I take meds, uh, you know, because I've struggled with that my whole life. It's part of the reason I do what I do. And then I talk with my coworkers and I mean, nurses are notorious and you have to be very careful where, where you make sort of the macabre type of jokes, but, but we do to each other because we understand, like, I understand when I make a terrible suicide joke to one of my nursing colleagues, I know that they care about the person and they know that I care about the person and we know that we're letting off steam in that way. If anybody else were to hear it, they would think we were the 
worst people that ever lived. <laughs> um, so that's a way is checking in with others. It's a it's a really interesting position to be in to be able to have a very. I'm, I've just gotten to a point where I can have a very frank conversation about suicide with anybody who comes up to talk to me. So I go, oh, you are okay. Do you have a plan? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? How are you going to? I mean, it's just that's so that part has become a little bit rote. Sad as that sounds. Um, not rote when I'm with somebody, but I, but I. It's you easy have scar for me tissue. to shed that. You yeah. have scar tissue at that point in your life. But there are some, there are some nights when I wake up in the middle of the night, there are some nights that I don't sleep. And we just had three huge things in a row that have just, you know, I'm exhausted and I, and I can't even, like I looked at somebody there like I can't even figure out why I'm so tired and it's like oh I these are I've been carrying these three so we had one woman who was just very very sick and I feel as though the care given by our clinician was wrong and she wouldn't listen to anybody and and then of course because of the stigma of being in a mental health unit if they require medical attention that we can't give because we can't do things like start IVs. So we've had a couple of times people just get so psychotic. They do not eat and drink and you have to get them IVs. And so you have to ship them off, but it's to get the medical staff to accept a psych patient is almost impossible. They don't want them. I mean, like you talk about it, it, it's just, and it's just blatant flat out stigma and you will get the pushback of aren't they just pretending isn't this just behavioral it's like "Mm, no (laughs) it's not so we had her we had another woman who was who really damn near killed herself who was supposed to go to rehab and we put her in a taxi and she got to the door of the rehab and was turned away because they didn't accept her insurance and we didn't know where she was for a while. Like, and then we had somebody come in who was threatening to uh, murder his wife and was released and went home and murdered his wife. Oh, and so, no. It, oh, no. Uh, um, and so those three things all happened so, like back to back within the same week. And so we, um, We're all, we're all, those have, I have carried with me. Well, that's, that's too much for anybody. And uh, I'm pretty amazed you're even on the phone with me right now talking in coherent sentences. Cause I would, I would be, I would have my, the covers pulled over my head in bed. So I, I am very impressed. It's literally why I called because I did, I actually did have the covers pulled over my head in bed when I called because I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with this thing. Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad Anita reached out and said, Hey, cause you left a voicemail. You referenced it before. I'm glad we gave you a reason to get out of bed. At least I'd make, I, I will tell you, <laughs> I think you and I are going to start laughing. Cause 
it's it, hearing you say that nurses make a lot of dark jokes to deal with it. I know on my end, depressed people do too. Like I will say things to other depressed people sometimes and we will laugh at, at stuff where other people just raise their eyebrows. So get ready, my friend, because we might have some laughs that the listeners really disagree with. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I and I mean, that's, that's, I know you have struggled with depression. I know. And that's another reason why, you know, I would love to talk to you because people don't get it. And like, even some of my colleagues who haven't look around and say, why would anyone ever want to kill themselves? And I just want to look at them and say, how could you ever not think about it? Like not even once, really? And yeah, you never look at the world and uh, feel like a complete outlier in it where you don't make sense and you can't figure out why and you don't particularly want to make sense in a world that can be so brutal to humans. You've never... Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Thought about it at length. <laughs> thought about it at length. <laughs> at least twice a week still, and yeah. I'm doing better than I ever have. <laughs> And there is a dark joke. There's something where I bet a lot of people who haven't seen this stuff up close or dealt with it personally are going, whoa. And a lot of people who have are going, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, we'll be right back. Thank you so much to our advertisers for supporting the show. Now let's get back to the phone call. You never look at the world and uh, feel like a complete outlier in it where you don't make sense and you can't figure out why and you don't particularly want to make sense in a world that can be so brutal to humans. You've never... Right. Really? Mm-hmm. thought about it at length. <laughs> at least twice a week still, and yeah. I'm doing better than I ever have. <laughs> every Monday, every Friday. Oh. I mean, come on. I, I, oh, yes, I totally get it. And I, and I, you know, I was, a, I was a hot mess when I was a teenager and I've had it managed, managed, managed. And then I just went through a space where I was like, I don't know how on earth I am going to keep going. I don't know how. And, you know, I've, I've been hospitalized in places like this. And so I feel like when, pe- when people look at me and they're like, this feels like a jail. I'm like, yep, you are correct. It does feel like a jail and it is the worst. I've but never, here you are. I've never been hospitalized. I've come so close <laughs> on a few occasions. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I moved into this house. I don't think I've told anybody this in this way. I've mentioned on the show that I, I, I did almost commit myself at one point in the fall because of pressure and stress. And I'm sure the pandemic fueled that, but I move into this house with my beautiful wife, my amazing son. I'm looking at this house going, if you told me when I was a kid that I'd ever live in a place like this, I'd, I'd, my jaw would drop. And yet one of the first things I do whenever I move to a new location is uh Google the nearest mental health facilities and hospitals and read their Yelp reviews. It's literally a thing I feel like I have to do. Just to go, okay, if I ever wind up in the bin, what am I going to be dealing with? Mm-hmm. Do I want to take an Uber mm-hmm. to one that's a little farther away? Or does this one seem reliable? This is 
<laughs> I'm as stable as I've ever been in my whole life. And I have so much going for me and so much to be thankful for. It doesn't change the park. It doesn't change the uh, fact. No. Let me look up Greystone Park, see what people are saying these days about Greystone Park. It's a couple towns over. <sighs> well, you know, you can take a 12-hour drive. Come stay with me. I'll take, I'll take good care of you, I promise. That's what I need. Oh. That's, I need someone like you. Now, can I? You mentioned a couple oh hard God. things. Uh, like, not, I, I, that's an understatement. Can I ask? I want to say one thing and then I want to ask one thing because I've always wondered about it. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing I want to say is I don't know if socialized healthcare is the answer. A lot of people think it is, a lot of people think it isn't. I tend to think that something at the very least close to that, if not that, would do uh, an incredible amount of good. What I do know is the thought that someone wound up in your facility, mental health treatment, they sought out the help or someone convinced them to go in there, whatever it is. And they made that step, which is one of the scariest steps, this leap of faith, this admission that you're broken to hear that someone could make that leap and that you and and your fellow uh, professionals said, okay, what you need is a rehab. And you convinced that person to go. Another massive, a thing that's stigmatized where people feel like they are admitting, like, like they're entering a new stigmatized social class by, by going to rehab. And they get in the cab and they go. That's a hard choice to be applauded. And then they knock on the front door and they get turned away because right. they don't have the right fucking piece of paper in their pocket that says who's going to pay for it. Right. It's unforgivable. And I've been trying to curse mm-hmm. less on the show, but I just dropped an F-bomb and I stand by that F-bomb because it's unforgivable. It's inhumane. That person mm-hmm. took all the leaps that you're told to take, even when they're, they feel so impossible and they feel like you're giving away your dignity and you're feeling this immense amount of loneliness, which is the real killer, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. And then they knock on the door yeah. and they're told, nope, turn around and walk away. Can you imagine feeling more exposed and more lonely and more full of regret than you, that you even ever sought help? That's, it's filling me with rage. So I can't imagine how you feel. Yeah, That's it, the oh, first thing I want I, to say. I, there, are no words, there are no words for how, for how awful that one was. I mean, yes, everything, everything you said about that. And for anybody who's it, listening... Who goes, well, here's all my reasons that I don't support expanding healthcare. I'll just tell you, I listen and I go, I don't get it. I don't get how you can think of that story. It's like if it's like having an emaciated, it's like having a visibly emaciated human being knock on your front door and you can't even give them a piece of day old bread. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Just so little. Yeah. Just so little it's- empathy. I hate it. Yeah. Now, the other one, I got to ask something really difficult. Um, and I already feel myself getting emotional. But you s- described something that, that I've, I've always wondered about because one thing that really has always gotten me mad, I'm sure I've said this before on the show, is anytime you hear about a mass shooter, one of the things that the dialogue that happens from from the really extreme gun rights groups um, 
is this dialogue is created a lot of times through press releases. You can look this up where they will unearth what kind of psychiatric treatment, what kind of psychiatric medications a person's been on, and they will out that publicly. They'll say, oh, well, you know, this person was on Prozac, this person was on lithium, this person had been hospitalized in a facility twice in their life. And to me, it's one of the most demonizing ways to stigmatize mental health treatment that's left because it presupposes, oh, this person did this because they were on Prozac, which now tells anyone who reads that article or hears that talking point, don't go on these medications. Mm-hmm. You're going to become as crazy as this this uh, this person who did this horrible thing. And I've always said, you know who I bet it's that person's family is the most devastated. And then you know who I bet is usually second in line is the, the mental health professionals who tried to save that person and couldn't. I bet mm-hmm. they feel that. So I have to ask, and I hate to ask, but when you have a patient who's threatening to murder someone and then they do, I can't imagine what someone in your position feels after that. We all just feel sick. We all just feel sick. And the, you know, it's hard as the last step in the process to not feel responsible. And I'm, I'm old enough that I, that I can step back and take a deep breath and say, there was nothing that any of us could have done. But we've got some young people up there who just feel responsible. And we're not because it, it was a complete system breakdown. He, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm loath to talk about it too much just because I don't want to break any kind of confidentiality of course, or of make course things recognizable but it's just like from police that have been called multiple times from other things and you know we're a unit that is not equipped for um for violent people we're supposed to screen for it so it's like from the police to the screening to the this to the that like the whole system failed that woman but we were the last step in the process. So we all just, we all feel kind of ill and kind of lost and kind of we're, you know, looking for a little bit of guidance from our managers and leaders. And um, it's, it's just been really difficult. And then on top of it, you know, like you said, you hear that, you know, the, the stereotype of the violent mentally ill person is rampant. And when I tell people what I do, I mean, literally the first, the first thing that most people do is go, Ooh, glad somebody will do it. And then almost without fail, the next question is, aren't you scared? And the reality is no. And the reality is that when you look at most incidents of violence with mentally ill people, you're usually talking about somebody who is hearing voices or seeing things and is terribly paranoid, is not medicated, who feels, who feels threatened in some way. And, you know, I got punched by a patient and in looking back, like, should she have punched me? No, of course not. But in looking back, I can look at the places where like, 
I could have prevented myself getting punched. And I just didn't know enough. I was new. But it could have, I could have prevented that from happening to me. But most people will never take the time to self-reflect and look back and say, oh, this, 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 and this happened. And this was my part in that outcome. Nobody does that. Very few. And so, you know, people are like, weren't you traumatized by being punched? I was like, well, I didn't like it. (laughs) And I didn't like that she was still up there while I was there. I was like, but in that looking back, you know, I know, I know now what to do differently that allows me to not be like completely traumatized and unable to go in and do that because I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. And like, that's what I wish we could train police that, you know, I wish we had a different set of responders for mental illness calls. Um, because, you know, when they look back on, on incidents of violence in psych units in places, nine times out of 10, and we see it all the time, nine times out of 10, it's the staff that incites the anger. Yeah. You know, you get somebody who it feels dismissed and, overwhelmed and suicidal and they come up and a nurse who is overworked and busy and trying to get her shit done because somebody is telling you like if you don't click this box on the computer you've done it wrong and half the time that has to do with like if you don't chart it then insurance won't pay going back to your thing and so in that moment the nurse is being squeezed trying to get her shit done suicidal sad person comes to the window and says can you get me a towel and the nurse snaps up and says just give me a second without thinking and then she's off crying finding a plastic fork to scratch her arm happens all the time and it's and it's like and that's not to blame that nurse because that nurse but it's it's so much more complicated than the mentally ill or violent and they have no impulse control. And there's, there's a reason somebody is suicidal and sad. There's a reason somebody drinks themselves to a 0.4 alcohol level, you know, yeah. bad shit happens to pe- bad shit happens to people. Really bad shit happens to people. Yeah. And there's just no room for that. Nobody gets to that place mentally because they want to. Right. Like you're saying, like people are either born with major problems that develop over time or they've been traumatized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder when when you talk about these moments where the system totally fails and you had mentioned, you know, we have some younger nurses and you're at a point where you, you know, you're a little, I, you know, I hate to use a war analogy, but battle tested seems fair. When these moments happen where the system fails, do you see, do you see nurses who went to school for this? Do you see them just leave the profession after incidents like this? Um, I think some, I think some of them will. Um, will. I think we've got two or three people right now looking for other jobs. Um, yeah. I mean, people get burned out and burned out and tired. 
absolutely. I really like what you said too about police handling of situations involving the mentally struggling, the mentally ill, however you want to phrase it. Um, because a lot, a lot of the people who know Eileen, very progressive, I think defund the police is kind of a simple term to me. And I totally support what's behind it. But I feel like the more layered thing of divert money that goes to battle armor into hiring some social workers right. or some psychiatric nurses like yourself, I think that's a much more um, palatable way to phrase it of mm-hmm. have, have, a, have a staff of diverse specialties because mm-hmm. I even think back to my own experience when this stuff was getting really, really bad. And here's two things I'll tell you was paranoia had set in majorly to the point where I believed very often that police were following me. Pretty much every time I drove a car at night, I would be convinced that the car behind me was a cop car waiting to pull me over. And it was oh, so tough to the point where I'll tell you, and I, this this felt to me like something that when people would hear it, they'd go, okay, yeah, you're getting, this is getting serious. This is a serious. This is not just, this is, you're not just dysthymic anymore. I got put on Risperdal for the paranoia. And that was a line mm-hmm. that even some other friends of mine who work in the psychiatric profession would go, okay, yeah, that's, that's a for real drug. Um, and you think about, and that's me. Like I come from a house with two parents and, middle-class background with a safety net. And you think if I had an episode and a cop with a gun shows up, when I have spent a year living in fear that police are following me all the time, you can just see how that's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. We had a woman down here whose psychiatrist called a wellness check on her. Right? Known psychiatric patient. This was, I mean, this was in our news. Known psychiatric patient, psychiatrist called a wellness check on her. Known to go off her meds and get unstable and all that. Police broke into her house to do the wellness check. She was in her room, opened the door. She met them with an axe, as paranoid people would, and they killed her. This was a patient that had passed through your system? This was a this was in the news down here. Oh, locally. got it, got it. So it just, just yeah. And you want to look at them and say, you couldn't have just run away and called the psychiatrist and said she's not okay. Yeah, like like we did the wellness check. We're a little worried for our own safety, so maybe you, the person she knows and trusts, can go talk to her. The other thing yes. is, yeah, like police are trained to if someone swings an axe at you, you sh- you shoot them, and I get it. I get it. You don't want to get hit with an axe. This is not, I'm not saying anything revolutionary (laughs) here, but if someone with training more akin to yours shows up, you just said before, I know a lot of things now that would mean I, I don't get punched like I once got punched. And you have to imagine there's people who might show up who go, there are ways, there are ways that I know that you don't know that will prevent anyone from getting hit with an axe. Hopefully, um, and they don't involve guns, which is only going to make this paranoid person even more terrified more paranoid. and more paranoid mm-hmm. and more likely to swing an axe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't 
that does not feel that does not feel to me like something that needs to be shouted about on cable news. It sounds like simple logic. It sounds like simple logic. Mm-hmm. Send somebody who knows what they're doing right. to the situation. And there's a lot of situations where you need a cop with a gun. If somebody shows up yeah. and ro- robs a store with a gun or does a home invasion with a gun or any number of things, even without a gun, there's a lot of situations where right. I want I want to call a cop and I want that cop to show up with a gun. I get it. Correct. But no, I'm not a, a I'm not a, I'm, I'm quite liberal and I, you know, and I'm not a defund the police. I don't want to get rid of the police. I just, if nothing else, I mean, if nothing else, spend more money to train them at least on this, something, something different than what happens. I think that's a really good place to pause. I, I think that there's just a lot of rational discussion that you had surrounding this, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that we're talking about it. We'll be right back. Those are the final ads of the episode, everybody. Now let's finish the phone call. And I'm not a defund the police. I don't want to get rid of the police. I just. If nothing else, I mean, if nothing else, spend more money to train them at least on this, something, something different than what happens. And just have a couple departments that are mandated that that don't revolve around tough guy stuff. Because that's, that's mm-hmm. where I, you know, it's a cliche thing to say, but I, I look at, I know a couple kids who became cops in my hometown. They were bullies. They were bullies. And I think that's not an uncommon right. story that people say. It's a bummer. But those are the people who I think set the tone of how police are perceived by people like me. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that the majority of cops aren't bullies, but I get scared that they are because you see that behavior all the time. It's hard anyway right anyway sidetrack <laughs> but we digress yeah we digress, we digress. Mm. that's <laughs> this is your your story your your the life you're living right now is so dark that even the digressions uh <laughs> <laughs> remain as dark as anything else so now i'm trying to I'm trying to think of some good stories to tell because there are because there are there are good stories. And, um, well, I'm sure you help a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I just sure. I just love them. You know. How long have them. you been? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Two and a half years. I bet that's so enough time. I bet that's enough time now that you have hands-on treated some people who are just going about their days now, worried so much less now, stable now doing whatever they do, selling artisanal ice cream, whatever they do. And they're doing that. And I bet there's so many more of those than the, than the truly extreme dark stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are there, you know, there are more people that come in and just need a minute to, you know, they just need a minute to catch their breath and stop and say, uh, I just need I need to pause for a minute and come in and you know get some meds, get some help, not be running at a thousand miles an hour on on the outside. And you know there was 
somebody who left yesterday and she wrote a comment on the survey and the boss called me in and she just she had been treated and this happens all the time treated horribly in the emergency room the emergency room does not like psych patients and is not nice to them yeah um so she came up like agitated and crying and regretting that she had ever come in and she wrote on the comment you know my name and that she's like after five minutes I felt safe and it allowed me to stay here and get what I needed. And like those moments, like, okay. There you go. I was, that's why I do it. That gets you coming back the next day. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to add, okay, here, you can hear me starting to giggle because I'm about to say something <laughs> dark. That the other, the other people familiar will laugh and everyone else will go, oh my God. You hear about manic depression, bipolar, you know, things that I think are in the same realm of how you describe them. A lot of people, I think, are starting to understand more and more depression. I still think Mm -hmm. mania is the one that's much harder to explain. I wonder if you would agree with that. And I also wonder if, because they're really, manic episodes can be terrifying. You, you're sitting in a room with someone in many episode, terrifying. But I also have to wonder: <laughs> Do the nurses wind up with more of their dark jokes from the manic episodes than the depressed ones? Because I, I would bet money that's true. There is nothing, nothing in this world that I love more. So we have, so we do have to do a strip search of everybody that comes in. Like nobody has to squat and cough. We don't touch anybody, but we just. We got to make sure they don't have things on their sure. person. And, and so, you know, you get somebody who's very depressed and they like, they're crying and they look up and they're like, you have to do what? <laughs> We're like, yeah. And, you know, at which point, at which point you have to talk very slow and you said, you can take it in phases. It's fine. Like, it'll be okay. You get a manic person in there and they're like, Okay. And they like literally will rip everything off, turn around in circles. They're like, are we good? Are we good? The, I and they're <laughs> a riot. They're so, we had this one woman came in and she was like, okay, she takes it all up and just literally like spinning around the room. She's like, I've never felt so vulnerable and exposed. Like, are you? Okay. <laughs> I could think I think back you to when put I was back on now. When I was at my worst, <sighs> I know exactly what I mean. If I went in during a depressive episode and you told me to get undressed, I would honestly sit there and cry and shake because I would feel so exposed. But if you cut if you catch me when I'm manic and you would be like, Geth, take off all your clothes, I'd be like, Nice, I'm free. Where are we going? Hell yeah. Let's go. Let's everybody take. Let's everybody take our clothes off and go to TGI Fridays. Let's see how that works. <laughs> That's the yes. type of shit I would say. Should we go to Chili's or Fridays? Which one do you think accommodates nudity the best? Come on. If I'm doing it, you're doing th- I'll take off my clothes, but everybody else is taking off their clothes. Like, this is the type of stuff that I could hear myself saying in a manic episode. I could hear myself saying it. Absolutely. Oh, my God. And they, and they skip up and down the hall. I mean... The hardest thing about mania is that most people in the heights of mania think that absolutely nothing is wrong with them. 
you feel euphoric. You feel like you figured it yeah. out. You feel like you're on cloud nine. Uh-huh. Everybody you encounter is sitting here going, like you're trying, you know, you're at the CVS and you're just, you're buying, first of all, you're probably buying like a giant bag of Kit Kats wow. and like 85 <laughs> boxes of tampons, even, even though you are, uh, <laughs> even though you are male, a man, like, and, and, and like two, a magazine, one magazine about pro wrestling and another about makeup tips. Like you're probably buying the craziest stuff in the world. And then you're trying to, you're talk buying to the all ch- the tampons because you're like, I'm going to use them as Lincoln logs. They yeah, are there the you go. I, I'm going to go solve the water. I think I can absorb so much water with this that I can probably solve the water crisis. If I have all these tampons. <laughs> like that type of thought. Like, and then you go home to your roommates. You're like, guys, guys, we got to go to a pond right now because I think I've figured out how to filter water with tampons, which could be revolutionary for African nations. Like, this is literally you're hearing the tone. You're sitting here going, "All right, Gethard, you've done, you've lifted." Because this is the type of shit. This is not examples of things I've really done, but not far away. But I thought that I was like a brilliant genius living my best life in these moments. And then you see this yeah. cashier just look at you and go. Are you sure you want all this <laughs> stuff, man? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then you bring it home, and your roommates <laughs> see you, and they're going, "What is happening here?" But he seems so happy. But it's three thirty yeah. in the morning, and I don't want to go find a dirty pond to dip tampons in it. This is not. <laughs> I'm telling you. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is not. You have heard conversations, I'm sure, as outlandish or more than this one, where the person thinks they are doing the, not just good, but the best they've ever been. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and, and oh, I wish I could think of a specific example right now. But they're just, they are, it's, it's hilarious. And it's, and it's dangerous because half the time they haven't slept in five days and oh, they, you yeah. know, and they're barely eating and drinking and, you know, like it's, Mania can be really dangerous and you have to treat it as such, but man, it's fun. And then I mean, you there's somebody a, you have to eat and to be like, around. They go, no, you don't understand. Like, I, I figured it out. I don't have to eat. This whole system of eating is bullshit. <laughs> I figured it out. Like, I'm not going to eat. I mean, I, I eat it all my nutrients from the air. Like, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll <laughs> stay. So plants, plants eat the sun. Plants. If plants oh. can survive just on sun and water, I can't, there's got to be a way. This is the type of thing. Oh, we had one guy who was trying to rip down his shower because he was going to remodel our bathroom. There you go. I mean, and he wasn't being destructive. Like he wasn't being, he wasn't angry or be, he was being he was helpful. Just like, oh, this has got, he's like, this has got to come down because then this and he's yeah. like climbing up there trying to pull shit out of the wall. And we're like, he had a good oh. aesthetic eye. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> good taste. It made a good taste Uh-oh. in a lot of mania. That's a recipe for success. No, it's not. No, and, and then we had then we had one woman came in and she was like that was how she took the whole time. She was talking about being on she went to her daughter's wedding. She was on difficult and 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 then she would then she started weeping and she was like, and then I'm the difficult and then I just it was out of my daughter's wedding and I, and I felt nothing. And you, you talked to her husband and he was like, she was delightful through that whole period of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. 
I was, yeah. you'll like, you will both like and not like this one. Here's one. I don't think I've talked about this one publicly too much. I once, I worked for a magazine from 2000 to 2004 and then kind of off and on part-time for many years after that. And one of my jobs was I would go to our distributors and I would collect on their invoices. So I'd be given, when I was at my most manic and depressive and hiding it, I would go to random places and people would give me envelopes with thousands of dollars of cash, which you know, don't give a manic person thousands of dollars in cash. Don't do that. And, but I was hiding it so well. And there's a town in New Jersey called Asbury Park, which is like lovely and beloved. And the last 10 years have been such a turnaround, but there was a stretch where that town was devastated and largely abandoned. And this is not a joke. There was one there was a Howard Johnson's restaurant on their boardwalk and that was it. A Jersey shore town with one restaurant. You can, this is a, it was a devastated place. I had an envelope that I think had between three and $4,000 in cash. And I went to this notoriously bad town and just walked around for like two hours just to see what would happen. This is the type of stuff wow. I would do when I was manic. Like, oh, I got all this cash. Let's just see. I, I, I think I'm invincible. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm invincible. So maybe I'll just go test that and walk through like abandoned buildings where there's like actual drug addicts hanging out. Let me just see what happens. So uh, what happens? I'll be fine. Right. And then I was. And mm. that wasn't good. That's probably ultimately not good. Anyway. Oh. <sighs> I can't thank you enough. Yeah. On behalf, listen, on behalf of people like me, I have to thank you. I mean that so sincerely. We're not easy. Well, thank you. And there's people far more extreme than I ever got. And God bless them. And God bless you because even when I was a kid, I felt like people just wanted to shove people, quote unquote, people like that off in a corner. And it's why I was so scared to admit I was one of the people like that. And it's people like you mm-hmm. who hold our hands and make us feel okay about it. And I thank you. Well, thank you. I've, and I appreciate that a lot. So, I do. And uh, I got to say too, not to loop it back to something that I'm sure is scaring you the most right now, but your son at the very least, because I don't, I've talked to you for 53 minutes and I've never met your son, but he's got a real strong mom who's not going to judge him for this stuff. And that to have somebody who understands and doesn't judge, that's like the first step where you feel like you're standing out in the sun again. And I'm rooting for your son and I know he is lucky to have you. I'll tell you that. Well, thank you. Appreciate that too. Yeah, he's he's a good egg, and he's doing better. And he, um, you know, he he talks about it to people, and I think that the lack of judgment at home has allowed him to kind of go out in the world and talk about it. So that's very good. Good. It's a huge step, as you know. Do you and uh, do you and him ever make the dark jokes? Oh, we make the dark jokes all the time. So, ah, that's awesome. So in the so in the last year and a half, or like, but in the last year in particular, he dropped out of college. You know, we all got locked down. He went to rehab, 
my husband had moved out the year before, but he, um, we got divorced in July. He lost his job due to COVID in August. So I had to sell the house where we had lived for 16 years in the area of town where I've lived my entire life. Sell a house, buy another house, move into this house all while both of my children are with me full time and working full time. So all of that has happened within the space of this year. All of us are in therapy and all of us are on meds and, and we are, and so dark, dark therapy jokes are the, are absolutely the norm around here. Jokes were the thing that, uh, allowed my family to feel comfortable. I, and, and maybe that's not fair. That allowed me to feel comfortable. I remember after yeah. I got diagnosed finally and put on meds, which is a scary thing, especially born in the eighties. My parents' generation didn't like, it wasn't a thing. And I remember one time when my mom were home and she'd be like, there would be things she'd be like, we're thinking of ordering food out tonight. Like you more in the mood for pizza or Chinese. I'd be like, well, I'm leaning Chinese, but then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fucking crazy. So if pizza and she'd be like, don't say that about yourself. I'd be like, I can show you the pills, mom. You want me to show you the pills? Cause my name's on the bottle. You're going to have to just deal with it. I'm crazy. She'd be like, don't you say that about yourself. I'd be like, but I am. I think police are following me around, Ma. We've talked about this fight. And it went a long way. Those jokes went a real long way. That's a hell of a year you had, though. That's a hell of a year. Oh, it was, it was, um, yeah. Yes, it was. It was a lot. Do you have, if you've lived in that neighborhood your whole life, do you have family in the area? Do you have like lifelong friends, I'd imagine? There's got to be some support in having those roots, right? Yeah, I I do. And it's, um, I mean, I I moved six miles away. It it is like, it is not like I have moved into the hinterland. But when I, when I looked at it, I was like, oh no, literally I've lived in the same square mile. I went to college, but other than that, I've lived in the same square mile my entire life because I was out here. Like, why am I so, why, like, this is, these, this suburb thing is really weird. Like what is happening? Why do I think this is so strange? And it's like, oh, maybe because I've never, ever done this before. <laughs> yeah. Which so. is not what you need during a year like this. So just trying to show myself, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to turn that empathy and grace inward. Yeah. Yeah. I can give it all day to the, to the people, but you know that, why am I not more grateful? And I luckily work. You're speaking my language. I work with a really great therapist who's like, yeah, because you're sad and you don't have to be grateful right now. So I was like, oh. Okay. That turn and that empathy. And, and know, like, it, everybody tells me I'm such an empathetic guy, and I'm like, then why? Do, why do I so often tell myself I'm a big piece of shit? Why, why am I such a piece of shit if I'm so empathetic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's 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 a really difficult thing to do, and especially right now because I I couldn't be more fortunate like as this year has gone on like 
we have a house. We are in no danger of losing it. I have a job. I, ha- you know, we have food. We we have, you know, we're good. And it it is really hard when you look around and see all the things that are happening to all these people, and it's working really hard to separate the two. Like that, I can be, I can be good and have all the things and still be sad and struggle that those two things can exist at the same time. And I can show myself some empathy for the sadness and the struggle in the same way that I show it to the people who are struggling more than I am. Cause there are lots of them. Yeah. And it's not a pissing contest about whose problems are worse. Like it's okay. It's okay to feel simultaneously blessed about certain things and irrationally awful about the others. That's okay. I had to learn that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's who I. It's a part of who I am. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Right. It's fine. <laughs> I think it's fine. It's fine, Chris. Everything's Chris, fine. fine. Said, Thirty <laughs> seconds left. Everything's fine. You're you're fine. I'm fine. Everybody's All fine. Fine. <laughs> the world's not on fire. There's not riots in the streets. There's not diseases that didn't exist 18 months ago. Everything's fine. It's fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Our uh, our time's up. I have to thank you for calling. Y- you were able to offer perspective on a lot of things that I've I've always wondered about from your end of things. And uh, again, first of all, I'm glad that we got to laugh together. I hope that helped you as much as it helped me. And I I just gotta say, I said it before. There's not too many people who have it in them to really step up and help. And one of the first things you said was a lot of people who slip through the cracks and they're forgotten. And that's why I'm still compelled to do it. And we are all lucky to have you and the people like you who think that way. We really are. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for what you do. It's been, it's been really great to talk to you. Yeah, I just fart around on a podcast and do my best, but uh, I'm sending you, sending you love and your son love and your daughter love, and and just uh, I'll be thinking about you. All right, well, thanks so much. Caller, I know I said it ten times, I know I ended with it, but just a massive thank you, just a massive, massive thank you. Uh, people like you have helped people like me, and you deserve thanks. And I'm really really send in love your family's way thank you to anita flores to jared o'connell to marcus hom to shell shag for the music chrisgeth.com if you want to check out when my live shows are coming up if you listen on apple podcasts there's there's the subscribe button other system any system you're on has some favorite follow whatever that button is if you push it it really really helps us here so thank you for doing so if you want our entire back catalog without ads go to stitcherpremium.com stories Thanks so much for listening. 